And welcome back, everyone, to another edition here of Going for Two, presented by our good friends at Home Field Apparel. I am your host. I am back from the road, Matt Brown. I'm the publisher of the Extra Points newsletter. I'm joined here by my colleague and friend, Brian Fisher. Brian, how was your Halloween? Uh, it was good. Uh, you know, not as many trick-or-treaters as, as I would have expected. I, I guess maybe that's kind of owing to it being on uh, on a Monday night and not uh, kind of towards the weekend for, for all the little ones out there. But, you know, what? Uh, got, got a decent haul of candy, uh, courtesy of the dad tax. And, um, you know, I think we, we we did pretty well in terms of the decorations and all that stuff. But uh, now, now we turn the page and we are on to November. <laughs> and uh, hopefully I, I will, uh, I'm sure I'm going to have to jump on the exercise bike uh, to, to at least wean some of that candy off here in the future. Dude, it is. It's terrible. Um, we literally got so much that I, I, I literally took half of the kids hall and froze it um, because the four of us wouldn't be able to go through it quickly enough because we have, you know, we, we each got two kids. We had church trunk or treat. Yep. We had the elementary school trunk or treat. Yep. We had the neighborhood trunk and tr- trunk or treat and, or just our trick or treating. Right. And, and we're looking at, like they're like just pounds of this stuff um, to the point where I'm basically throwing it like, you know, out, out of my yard here. We're hoping for other people to come pick it up. Not really good if you're, if you're predisposed to just like to nervous eating as I am as somebody who works from home, which is why I have the physique of somebody that knows how to deadlift, but also knows how to spend $22 at Taco Bell. Really not, not a, <laughs> not, a, not a good thing here. Um, speaking of kids though, there is, there is something that my little girls have started to do over the last two days. I thought you would really appreciate, which actually kind of dovetails into what you wanted to talk about. So they often ask to use my computer to watch YouTube. Um, and if, you know, if I'm, if I'm doing something else, normally I think it's okay. We have, we have a little curated system for them. So they're not going to, we'll get into anything too weird, but a lot of what they try to do is, is, is list, watch music videos of the music we might be listening to in the car. And kind of following through that, we're trying to expose them to different musical genres. So my girls have recently decided that one of the artists that they're really passionate about right now is Dolly Parton. And can you guess what particular Dolly Parton song that they love the most right now that they've played almost incessantly over the last 12 hours? I, I I doubt it would be something like Jolene. So so I'm, I'm guessing you're gonna gonna tell me something, something <laughs> no, way off of that. It's not Jolene. Uh, that one doesn't really slap for four year olds. Um, they found a live version of her singing Rocky Top. There you go. <laughs> which is which it, it's so you know we we had a, a good family conversation about you know where is Tennessee? Uh, my oldest, who was eight, thought it was in South America, uh, and then guessed Wisconsin. So she could not have been more wrong on both counts. Clearly, we have some geography to do. But we've been playing this. A lot, even though my children have not really spent time in that state or don't care. But maybe that's a sign because we had our first college football playoff rankings today as we are recording tomorrow uh, when you are listening. And lo and behold, Tennessee is number one. Um, I'm trying to remember, like, when is the last time? I mean, how often have they been ranked in this thing at all since like 2014? So it's only been a couple of times, right? Never for very long. Well, I think the the fifth team to occupy the uh, number one ranking here. They, they've all been, uh, you know, SEC or, or Big Ten teams, and you know, with with Tennessee. I mean, we we kind of we had an episode earlier uh, a few weeks ago where we kind of said party like it's 1998, and uh, that was the last time they were number one. So yeah, it's a it's a big time there on Rocky Top. Which uh, to to be fair, 
quite the catchy tune. I, I, I got to say, as, as a college football fanatic and an observer and, and somebody who goes to a lot of games across the yeah. country, one of the more catchy tunes, although it does get stuck in your head after about the, the ninth time that they play it in the first quarter. So, uh, but, you know, it, it, it's, it's a big thing for, for the Vols. I mean, I, I think really kind of firmly stamped them, you know, as, as kind of being back, if you will, um, yeah. you know, after really several years in the desert, you know, this is a, a big moment for them going into Athens to play Georgia this weekend. So um, huge game for, for them in the SEC, huge game in the, in, you know, college football playoff race. And I think does give the Vols a, you know, really a, a big time hope that not only if, if they, they lose this weekend, that they can still make it into the college football playoff. And um, that, that's, that's a dangerous hope to have, you know, just, uh, uh, you know, being out there and thinking we, we, we've got it made, you know, the, the college football is always, um, you're really a sport that can kind of yank you back real quick and say, you know what, here, here's, here's your dose of reality. So uh, we'll, we'll yeah. see with Tennessee, but um, I think for all the fans in, in burnt orange, um, you know, nowadays they, they have to be celebrating because uh, it has been a several years in the desert. And um, now they're, they're finally reaping the rewards of, of this, uh, you know, somewhat controversial hire initially in, in Josh Heupel, but uh, yeah. he's got a marquee win under his belt and uh, things are going swimmingly there in Knoxville. I don't feel strongly about Tennessee athletics one way or the other. I think it is difficult. And, and I mean, if you're somebody that if you're a Vandy fan, I can understand why you're wailing and gnashing of teeth. But if, if you're not, if you're a neutral, I think it's hard not to be excited about this particular moment. Like I, you said here, okay, there's been five teams living ranked number one. I um, think that was the number. Yeah. Yeah. I'm trying to think here. Well, Alabama's obviously one Tennessee's one. I want to say Ohio state had that designation for a minute. Um, Georgia, of course. And then who can forget the number one ranked team. The first time this thing ever came out was Mississippi state. Um, we could talk about them later, but like, I mean, that's, that's pretty rarefied air to be in, even if things change and you don't necessarily make the final four here at, at the end. Um, after the Georgia game, Tennessee schedule is really not especially intimidating. It's Missouri and then two road games in South Carolina and Vandy. You know, that's, about as good as you can expect for anybody uh, in their last four of the season. But uh, yeah, I mean, given the Tennessee, and we're going to talk about another one of these programs, I think a little bit later, was one of those athletic departments where everything happened all of the time over the last 15 years. And I don't know how this particular story will go. I don't know if this is necessarily the team I think would be the, should be the favorite to win the national championship or anything. There's, there's, I wouldn't say it's a, it's a flawless roster, but you know, one of the frustrating things about the college football playoff era has been it's generally been the same goddamn teams every single time. And we're arguing about which order, ten, you know, Ohio State, Georgia, Clemson, Oklahoma get rotated in. It's nice to have some new blood in there um, and, and, and new blood that, that has a, a compelling emotional story, plays a compelling, unique kind of football. I, I, I think it's great. And I think this particular ranking is well deserved, given what they've accomplished so far this year. Yeah, and, and I think this this first set of, of college football playoff rankings also kind of underscores how quickly you can kind of get back into the mix, even if you have a down year. I, I mean, you, you mentioned Tennessee. We, we know that the trials and tribulations that they've gone through uh, before Josh Heupel arrived, I think it does kind of underscore as well, uh, you know, the fact that uh, if, if you get a competent athletic director, if you make a good hire in football, if you kind of get that alignment from the university side, that you can turn things around, especially in the SEC, very quickly. And that is certainly what Tennessee has done. But you, you add on top of that, yes, the usual suspects of, 
of Alabama and Georgia, like you mentioned, but you have TCU in there, you know, that they, they fired Gary Patterson last year and lo and behold, they're undefeated this year. Uh, you know, with TCU, I, I talked with Garrett Riley a little bit for my Fox sports column on Monday. Um, you know, the Horned Frogs are a terrific story. You have Oregon. They've, they've had theirs ups and downs, obviously over the years, um, yeah. you know, right back into the thick of things now, even after that, that uh, loss initially to Georgia, if you have USC at number nine, I mean, they went four and eight last year, all the, the, all the teeth gnashing uh, that, that you had with the, the USC fans over Clay Helton and just how uncompetitive they were on the national stage. Boom, they're right back in uh, kind of to the thick of the playoff chase at number nine. LSU, another team that, that uh, you know, trailed off there at the end of the Ed Orgeron era. So, I, I mean, you, you look at the top 10, there are some fresh faces, but it's also kind of reinforcing that in this transfer portal era, especially in this NIL era, especially you can flip that roster pretty quickly. And with some some decent coaching acumen, uh, you can have your team right back in the mix of, of the college football playoff. And that will be even more the case when we do have that 12-teamer. So I'm, I'm going to make a confession here. We were just talking about this before the show started. I did not watch the show. And in this particular case, I actually had a, an excuse because I was, I was in the process of making another video across the the D1 ticker family of publications but I don't really plan on watching this show until the right at the very end of the year right or 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 may, or maybe like the week before and, and part of that is so selfishly I don't think it makes especially compelling television and I think it's frustrating that college football twitter you know it, it you know screams at whoever whatever athletic director we drag out front who has to like defend these decisions knowing that that person might not have voted one way or the other. And all of the explanations all kind of sound the same as, as dressing up for, we just put them there this way. And if you and I sat down and made a, 20, a top 25 list, it would be hard for us to really, I think, r- really defend 17 over 21 because there's always going to be data points one way or the other. But even so, looking at, 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 the, at the actual top 25, I have it open on the other tab here while I'm talking. There's usually still something that everyone's mad about. And with that caveat that obviously there's five weeks of college football left to be played. Is there anything that jumps out at this that you're like, this is an abomination uh, or or cl- a, 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 a clear miscarriage of justice uh, that we should be mad online about? I, I have one that, that may be, but I, you probably have deeper opinions about this than I do. Well, I don't, I don't know if I, I'd go quite that far in terms of the the abomination of justice. But, uh, you know, I, as someone who does have to put together a top 25 on a, on a weekly basis and, and especially vote for for a top 16 as part of the FWA poll, uh, you know, it, it can be difficult. You really yeah. are kind of splitting hairs really kind of past eight, nine. You know, that, that kind of always feels like the, the range where you're like, eh, there's these basically teams are all the same. And that kind of plays out just given the, the amount of upsets that happen in that kind of band of, of ranked teams. So uh, it, it, it can be difficult. I, I know going through the uh, mock selection committee um, exercises and, and doing this kind of for, for real, just how the, the real committee does it. Um, you know, it, it, the, the way they break teams up, you know, the, you can understand why they can arrive at stranger results. And then basically after after they've done voting, that's when they kind of try to rationalize it. And, and that's where you have Boo Corrigan now, the, the NCAA State Athletic Director, kind of trying to explain why why they voted this way or why they voted that way. And as, as you just spoke about, that's not might not be the case of how Boo voted, but that might be how how the committee overall feels, and and that could be a fifty one percent to forty nine percent margin in terms of, um, you know, yeah. in, in terms of controversy. That might be Alabama over TCU, which I, I know a lot of people kind of nitpicked and uh, had their eyebrows raised. You know, I think TCU 
on the field, they, they would be in my top four. Uh, they, they were as, as I'm voting, but um, I, I can understand as the committee kind of breaks these teams into chunks and you start and compare really minute uh, minutia of, of the resumes and how these teams are playing. I, I, I can understand, you know what, maybe, maybe you thought, yeah, top four, four ranked wins in a row. Well, there's actually not as many ranked wins when, when you look at the current committee, top 25, um, you know, the Horn Frogs have needed to come back several weeks. It's, it's not been the, the blowout city, like, like say an Ohio state has, has had. So, um, you can kind of understand how, how they slip down the pecking order, but I, I know that one caught a lot of attention from, from a lot of folks. And then I think at West, um, you know, I Pac-12 fans might, uh, might quibble with the order of, of teams, maybe not Oregon at the top, but in terms of USC, a couple spots ahead of UCLA and then Utah, uh, kind of bringing up the rear behind them. I, I think that, Pac-12 fans might have a, a little quibbles over that, although the, the way things have kind of opened up for them and, and having those teams in the top 10 and, and really the top 12, they, they at least have to be happy that uh, it does look like they have a shot uh, at the end. Yeah, I, I mean, I would look at this, and uh, one of the nicer things I think about how the Pac-12 season has gone this year is there hasn't been as much cannibalization, and you've had a, a real separation, right? You can look at this and go, I know who the four good teams are in this conference, and there's one team that's, you know, pretty good, you know, or, you know, we're, we're, you know, the, or however you want to categorize Oregon state, right? Like competent. And the, the rest of the league isn't stealing games from everybody else, which has not as you know, been the case, which makes it hard to establish the, the kind of depth that you need uh, at the top to, to, to be successful in this sort of thing. I don't have a strong opinion, honestly, about USC or UCLA. USC barely lost one game. UCLA kind of got their ass kicked. Like I watched most of the USC Oregon game and I don't think it was that close. And USC Utah could have gone several different ways. Both of those games had uh, lots of moments of uh, the Pac-12's unique interpretation of uh, college football rules. You know, one 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 way or another, which is always on display every single week. Every single, you know, I, I, we've joked about this a couple of times before, but one of the things that I deeply love about college football is that if I sit down there and I know I'm, if I spend five, six hours watching and watch two different games, there's a real chance I'm going to see something I've never seen before. And I have been watching a ton of college football, you know, most of it for professionally for the last decade. And, you know, as a human being for another decade before that, and this happens often and it happens more often when I'm watching the PAC 12, um, just because it might be, you know, a, a rule that gets made up, or a clock malfunction, or people rushing the field four different times, and your team's still losing. You never, you never really know. This not maybe not the best thing for your brand, but that's, you know, that's uh, that's what it is. I, I, when I look at this, I think the only quibble I think I would make, and it's not a, a major miscarriage of justice or anything, based on what I've seen, I think Michigan's a better team than Clemson. And like, I don't think Clemson is the fourth best team in the country. I understand why you put them there because of the numbers in front of some other teams that you beat. You have to put someone there. Maybe that gets resolved by the end of the season. Um, I, my, my lukewarm take would be for the good of college football. I'm kind of hoping that Notre Dame or someone else knocks off this team so we can maybe get some other new blood. Uh, in that top four, because what I have seen, despite this team, the Clemson's offense improving, this feels very much like a team that just gets the shit kicked out of them by Georgia or Ohio State in the first round. And then we go through the whole expanding playoff is actually bad dialogue because of a 38 to 10 first round game. It would be nice if maybe that fourth team was Oregon or TCU or somebody different. 
my selfish opinion analysis here of the meta narrative. Um, I mean, I get why you, I get why you put Clemson, but I, I would just say like based on what I've seen, I, I would, I would favor Michigan if those two teams played, uh, you know, probably by more than four. Well, I'd favor the under in that game for sure, given given the offenses and given the two defenses involved yeah. in that game. But I, I think you know the committee kind of did send the, a bit of a message, you know, in terms of um, the rat the rationale that the Boo Corgan provided was, um, you know, he kind of pointedly said Michigan's non conference schedule was a whole bit a whole bag of nothing, and uh, I think that has uh, kind of. You know, when you're talking about fine margins, that that comes into play. Michigan not really playing outside of Penn State, not a whole lot of, of uh, hefty competition there in the Big Ten just yet. They they will have Illinois coming up. They will obviously have Ohio State. Um, you know, but but in terms of Clemson, I mean, they have three three uh, top twenty five wins right there yeah, in the twenties there with Syracuse, Wake, and uh, NC State. So. Um, yeah, I, I can understand when, when you're actually putting those two teams literally on the board as, as they do at the, in the committee, how you would say, you know what, just in terms of the metrics, in terms of everything, yeah, I might think Michigan is better, but when it's you know really head-to-head and, and it's those two, um, you know, the resume is is really no comparison. And so that's probably why Clemson was elevated slightly. But, but I totally get what you're thinking. It does kind of feel like Clemson – is one of those Oklahoma teams that you know is is really good on offense. You know, you understand that they 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 took care of business. Yes, they they won their conference. They are one of the better teams in college football. But still, there is that gap between them and kind of that top three, and and that's kind of feels where like where Clemson is this year. And, and frankly, they probably will not get tested until uh, you know they reach North Carolina and, and North Carolina, even though they are in the top twenty, um, that's another flawed team. So you could have a, an undefeated Clemson not really not getting truly tested like they should going into the college football playoff yeah it, it is it is weird how the schedules broke that way of course if, if folks if you had forgotten the three teams that michigan has played played this year uh it, it is a real bummer because they were originally scheduled to play ucla which this year would have been a lot of fun especially yeah. given how both those offenses are set up ucla of course running a former michigan running back and, and a very exciting backfield they replaced ucla um, with Hawaii, I believe. Oh, and so your the three games were Colorado State, one of the 10 worst teams in the country, Hawaii, one of the 10 worst teams in the country, and UConn, secretly conventionally bad UConn. Potential bowl team. Potential UConn. bowl team UConn. And if UConn does go to a bowl game, I have to go. Um, this has been communicated with our boss, and hopefully they don't play over like Christmas or something. And yeah, they did murder all three of those teams. But that those are, that's, I think one of the most horrific out-of-conference schedules you could possibly play without playing an FCS team. I know Minnesota's might technically be worse. They had an FCS team in like New Mexico State, and I, I, I think someone you know comparably terrible. But it is unusual for a championship-caliber team to play like three teams under like 105 SP+. So yeah, you don't get the benefit of the doubt. And the way the Big Ten the they're like their their Big Ten schedule set up, like the only kind of out you're at ohio state and michigan has not won in columbus in some time but you know like their second hardest road game was iowa um who's running half of a football team like the the a a bad indiana squad you're you're at rutgers this week which is like whatever this rutgers team sucks too It, it it is unfortunate that maybe for as good as like the upper to middle class section of the Pac-12 is this year, which I think is a, a positive direction for that conference. And I would argue that I think that's true in the in the Big 12 as well. That has really not been the case in the Big 10, where there's I think there's very clearly two teams that have separated themselves, but other squads that the conference really 
you know, counts on, I think, to be, you know, strong uh, 12 to 30 ranked programs. Many of them are, are bad or have significantly fallen off. This is a not good Wisconsin team. It's not a very good Iowa team. It's a really not very good Michigan State team. And those are all, you know, programs that you that you hope would, uh, you know, provide you know provide more of a test or more opportunity for your flagship programs. It's a it's it's, it's, a, good, it's a good Illinois squad, uh, and we'll and we'll learn something about Michigan um, on on November nineteenth. But weird season so far in the heartland. Um, you know, we'll just have to count USC and UCLA a little bit early. I think. Well, yeah, I mean, there is that uh, added aspect, as, as you mentioned with Michigan, you know, their, their future conference rivals, UCLA, playing a role in potentially keeping them out of, of the college football playoff. You know, if they Wonderful. end up playing UCLA uh, and, and winning that game early in the year, just think about if Michigan, maybe they lose a close one, maybe perhaps by a yard or something in, in a bad spot against Ohio State there in Columbus. You know, what what would the narrative be around Michigan? You know, that a bad if, spot, uh, you know. I, I'm, not, I'm not saying anything about that, but you know, it, it, you know, thought of, think about the, the narrative. If they were to have a top 20 win over a UCLA squad instead of that non-conference slate, uh, it would change quite a bit, you know, especially when you're comparing them to, you know, an Alabama team. Yes, they, they did beat Texas, but it was only, uh, you know, a close one on the road. Maybe Texas ends up with, you know, not getting knocked out of the top 25. They still have to play TCU. So that could be a four or five loss Texas. So, you know, maybe when, when you're comparing those resumes, that, 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 that game and then that series, uh, which probably would have been canceled anyway because of, of Big Ten realignment, maybe it comes back to haunt the Big Ten here in, in, uh, in, in 2022. Something to just keep in the back of your mind and also maybe to potentially, you know, shit talk a Michigan fan in your life uh, or UCLA fan if it comes to that. Um, certainly any late game of the season wouldn't come wouldn't, wouldn't come down to a bad spot. All spots in the Ohio State-Michigan games are good. I literally named my company, like legal name of my company, Good Spot Publishing LLC. You can, you can look it up somewhere in the Illinois Secretary of State's office. Uh, it's fun explaining that one to the lawyers and accountants. You know what else is good besides spots, uh, specific spots in this particular matchup? Of course, our flagship partners, Home Field Apparel. I would have worn a Tennessee shirt uh, for this particular show. I, I, I don't have one right now. I, I don't I don't really look good in orange. Um, and uh, not wanting to uh, be, attract bias, I think, from any other team, but attention to the top 25, I decided to go with Nebraska uh, with my Bug Eater shirt. That's a safe shirt to wear when you're talking about the college football top 25 because Nebraska is not going to be anywhere in it. But the Bug Eater shirt's real, real cool. Uh, and I, I enjoy wearing that. It's a fun conversation starter. It looks like we've got an Indiana uh, hoodie. No, Utah hoodie, not Indiana. That's right. The, the beautiful yeah, got mountains. The, got, the, got the Utah hoodie. You know, the number, uh, what, what are they? Number 14 Utah uh, there in the CFP rankings. And then uh, underneath, I got my Western Kentucky shirt. So I, I, I was going to change. I was going to wear my Tulane shirts. It's the highest uh, ranked group of five team, yeah. uh, you know, represent the AAC. Uh, I might end up having to go over before I heading over to Columbus for, for Ohio State, Michigan. Might have to end up uh, going to that Tulane Cincinnati game. There could be some stakes going on with Ooh. that one uh, on Black Friday. But, uh, you know, hey, it, it, it's uh, fantastic for the Green Wave. And they have a set of fantastic shirts there on home field apparel. And you know, what's, what's better than, than the shirt itself versus saving money. And uh, you can do that with our, our promo code as well. That's right. If you, your first code, first purchase on homefieldapparel.com, if for uh, some strange reason, you've been listening to the show regularly for the past several months and haven't given them any of your money yet, use promo code extra points. You could save 15% off that first order. So if you want to go, uh, you know, maybe go uh, pick up something up from their new Harvard Yale collection, 
um, or um, supporting any of our uh, fine land grant or regional state school institutions. Um, they may be selling stuff that says Harvard and Yale on it, but this is an Indiana company. Um, you know, they're, 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 they're in it to promote Handsome Dan. They're, they didn't go all bourgeois elite on us or anything. Uh, they're not that kind of brand. But if you're that kind of person, you can still buy their stuff at homefieldapparel.com. There is one other thing I wanted to talk to you about here today. We would have, we would have, we would have gotten, uh, you know, it talk, talked about this a couple of days ago. I, I was, I was out of town. It has been the unexpected kind of just uh, schedule for, for when we talk on these podcasts, whenever a job opens up, because one has been popping up just about every week. And of course we now have another FBS opening. Uh, this broke a couple of days ago, Auburn has now made it official and the, has and followed through with literally the worst kept secret in the world, a move that literally any, everybody that it was anybody knew was going to be coming. They have relieved Brian Harson and are now looking for a new head coach. Um, I, what I want to talk about, I, I guess, first is, is kind of maybe walking through this particular principle because this is an example like, like unto Tennessee – like unto Louisville, like unto a couple other places where the story has always been a bunch of other stuff's always happening. Auburn's, Auburn just brought in a completely new athletic director. They have, um, I, I think we can, we can put it this way, a historically very active and engaged booster culture. Um, and uh, it has been difficult for one coach or one AD or one person to kind of centralized authority for everything it is the, the the closest thing to that has i would say over the last decade has probably been bruce pearl which uh for for many reasons is uh, a, a surprise and and a feat unto himself that were he is the paragon of, of stability and responsible distribution of power in this fan base but i was talking to a couple other reporter friends of mine and i wonder if we have maybe gone a little bit too far down this nar this narrative here of just you know shrugging our shoulders and going like, well, LOL Auburn or you know that crazy Auburn when it's not like this was necessarily an unjustified move. And I don't know, and I don't know if there's been that many head coaches that I would say that they were fired prematurely. We may have had head coaches that were undermined or lots of drama, but I don't know if this is necessarily the place that's gonna fire somebody when they didn't really necessarily get a chance to make things work. Uh, do, do you, do we, I mean, clearly the, 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 the meme is born out of reality. Do you think there's a possibility that we as a collective college football entity have gone a little bit too far with Auburn being Auburn? Probably a little bit, uh, just, just given the narratives, you know, around, but I, I mean, they're well-earned narratives, you know, it's, yeah. it's like th these things have happened, you know, like, like there, there are stories about there's Jetgate, you know, like you, you can't erase those type of things from the history of Auburn. That is what makes Auburn Auburn. And, uh, you know, it's a, it's a very unique institution and um, I'm, I'm going to be very curious to see how this plays out. I, 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 don't, I don't think, you know, you, you're right. This was the most probably expected firing in, in, in the entire college football coaching carousels for the last, I don't know, four or five years. I mean, it was, it was basically, you know, fait accompli, you know, going back to that kind of quasi coup uh, that, that was attempted in the, in the off season. Yeah. And uh, that, that, that got the clock ticking for sure. And uh, you know, it, it just was never quite the, the cultural fit, certainly uh, with Brian Harson there at Auburn, never quite the, the on field fit um, just in terms of what they, they wanted to do uh, with the personnel there and, and really off the field. I mean, just, um, 
yes, the I think the whole SEC knowing the SEC is thing is is a little overblown, but at the end of the day, you still got to understand that that culture of, of going after recruits, that that culture of, of talking with high school coaches. You know, and and I, I don't yeah. know if they necessarily got um, you know that right that aspect of, of things right, and and to, to say nothing of you know the NIL aspect, the, the areas they they really needed to kind of hit hard in terms of uh, grabbing players and, and recruiting hard. I, I, it just never worked, and and I think you can kind of understand going back to the old uh, the old uh, Jeremy Foley adage. You know, if, if you understand that the firing must must happen, you know, you might as well do it immediately. Now, it was not quite immediately for sure for sure at Auburn, but um, yeah. you know, I think a lot of that was kind of the concerns that we saw. Uh, you know, really in, in the wake of uh, Brian Harson's firing, is that a lot of those guys you know, at, at the top levels of the staff were either inexperienced, uh, you know, as, as position coaches or, uh, you know, the coordinators and, and whatnot were a lot of his Boise State guys. And so, you know, they, they were going to be shown the, the door eventually how hard would they work if they were not, if Brian Harson was not around. So I, yeah. I think those those concerns were justified. And I think it was just basically time to pull the plug. Uh, now, now that they had, they had found John Cohen as the AD, he was somebody that, uh, you know, I, I was told basically, you know, Let's let's face it. He he's a former coach himself. He he was not going to be the one that uh, was was going to can a lot of these coaches. He wanted that done uh, kind of before he officially took the job, and uh, you know that was announced shortly after uh, the decision to to move on from Brian Horson or, or make a coaching change um, in that program. Cadillac Williams now taking over there as the interim. So going to be going to be an interesting, I guess, close to the season. Uh, you know, we've already seen a couple of their players enter the transfer portal, but um, you know the the real thing that that I kind of keep coming back to, not only with with this coaching change and, and all the directions this coaching search is going to take. We've mentioned on them a few times. We, we go back to Friday's episode last week when I talked with Bruce Feldman about some of the names that are going to come up with her, like Dion, like you freeze, like Lane Kevin. The thing I, I, I really want to understand is with a new school president now with a new AD, um, Yes, it sounds like some of the boosters are more on kind of moving in the, in the right direction, but will we truly get that, that right alignment with Auburn? Because you know what, they, they can make a, a pretty hefty NIL operation. They're right there uh, near Atlanta. You can get into Florida very easily. You can turn roster as we were just talking about very quickly and, and turn into a contender, uh, especially in the SEC very easily and in one or two cycles. And um, you know, that that's going to be the challenge for the new, new uh, head coach is can you get everybody pulling in the right direction? And can you flip this roster quickly? Because Auburn when aligned can win a national title. We, we have seen it before. Yeah. Typically it runs off the rails after that, but we have seen it before. That'll be the challenge. I think moving forward after this, uh, this, this coming uh, coaching hire. Yeah, the last couple of coaches here at least once have gone undefeated. Like it, 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 it is a, a, a there aren't very many jobs in college football where you can say like even without the portal by like just going after high school talent, you can sign enough blue chip kids to to make a fourteen playoff. Like you you can do that, and it's it's interesting. I think with this particular year, this was a, this is like a generational class of, of like elite talent in Alabama and Auburn as it stands right now not really a contender to get a lot of a lot of those and th- what you brought up there i think is is the biggest key question and it's not even just can you get everybody in alignment right now because you might be able to get everybody in alignment immediately especially cuz the ad and the president are new and this is a, a a fan base and a group that has enough money to be able to say we can pay lane kiffin 9 and a half million dollars and also here's our nil collective chest of 12 million bucks well, we're going to go out there and we're going to have a top five payroll. Well, I mean, they, they've had, like, they paid $45 million in, in buyouts the last, in the last two and a half years or so. Uh, you know, like you're, you're talking like 
almost $100,000 a day when, when you add up the, the staff salaries and uh, the head coaching buyouts, all that together. You know, I mean, this is a, you know, a pretty hefty buyout operational loan. And then you mentioned that 12 to 13 million figure uh, for their NIL collective. That is likely to tick up, uh, you know, now once they eventually make the hire, once they kind of have all the boosters kind of moving in the right direction. So, um, you know, the future is is kind of bright for Auburn. If, if you're a fan there, you've gone through some some trials and tribulations, a very rocky up and down uh, last couple of years. But I, I guess there is a little bit of a light at the end of the tunnel, and it could be qu- quite quite a bright one as well. Well, I want to talk about that last thing then. I think before you wrap up about having this fund, whether that's 12, 13, whether it, it moves up and, and maybe it's, you know, 15 or more, who knows what the, what the market rate ends up being two or three years from now. This is what is, I think, always going to be my, my concern or question as so long as the NIL collective era works the way that it does right now. And there's no guarantee that it will come 2025, 2026. That's a different podcast. We've kind of alluded to it in a couple of different ways. Um, I have had smart analysts and smart reporters say to me that part of the reason Auburn is not terribly competitive for many of those elite high school players in Alabama or in Georgia or Florida this cycle is because not only was our Harson staff maybe not going at 3,000% knowing that they were probably going to get fired, but also that uh, Auburn's money was staying on the sidelines. Um, as it were, knowing because they weren't totally bought in with this particular administration. And this is the big risk because everybody might be on the same page now. But what if, hypothetically, um, some adversity hits, Nick Saban kicks your ass the, the first season, maybe the, the initial roster turnaround doesn't happen and uh, you know very quickly, uh, maybe there is an economic downturn in the pressurized lumber industry or in any, or, or I don't know, Tim Cook has to pay a gigantic antitrust settlement in Europe and he's not quite liquid, right? So one of those things happen. The concern I think always think here is if you have another group of people that are not technically part of the university that have a $10 million plus fund that they're going to use for football recruiting, they, you, you can never control the entire athletic department. You now have a shadow general manager. And in the event that you have a great relationship with those people and you know everyone's goals are aligned and and you know, forget NCAA rules or, the, or Alabama state law like because no one's checking that stuff. And you're, you're, you're coordinating together like a good candidate and a good super PAC. Everything's fine. But we have no reason to think that that is necessarily going to stay the, same, the, the case anywhere, uh, let alone in a place where stability among power brokers has not been the norm for 15 years, including with some very good coaches and, and some very talented administrators. So th- that's, that's always my concern. Like when I see a school or a fan base saying like, we got $11 million lined up here in this, you know, definitely not a fake charity collective LLC. To me, that isn't a selling point. I, I it's almost a potential danger um, given what happens if some relationships go sour. Uh, it speaks to a level of control that that athletic director and on some level that coaching staff won't have. Um, and you can maybe mollify, you know, those concerns or try to mitigate that risk, but it's still going to be there. And that's not the case um, as, as it stands right now. It's not exactly the case with Alabama. And it's not the case with some other high profile elite recruiting programs. 
Yeah, I, I would agree a little bit with that. But I, I mean, you got to understand this is a, a very co- cutthroat, you know, kind of industry, especially, you know, in, in the SEC. Uh, you know, this is, n- this is not limited to Auburn, uh, th- these issues. I, I will yeah. be curious, you know, kind of uh, tailing off with, with, the, with the AD uh, change over there, if we're going to see some additional movement amongst athletic directors, amongst staff, if, if NIL also comes into play with them, not not in terms of actually uh, the, the money changing hands, but if you know that you can go to an operation that is kind of turnkey and uh, you know has that NIL operation humming and things are, are hunky-dory versus you're struggling to raise money or you're struggling to go get those donors um, to do something in terms of NIL for your athletes, you know what, maybe maybe if it's just easier, you, you end up taking a job like that, um, you know, where, where the operation is, is, is um, you know, moving in the right direction and everything is aligned. On, on that front. So I, I think that's going to be interesting. And, and you mentioned the, the shadow uh, athletic department. I mean, th- those things, especially at Auburn uh, ha- have, have happened all the time. So, you know what? Yeah. I, I think and that I is- don't, and I don't think it's an accident that this, that this program hasn't done super well. Yeah. I think be, be, because of that, the, the fact that Tennessee I think has kind of broken that cycle is a little bit of, um, of an anomaly and, and, and maybe, and, and this is a good story for this off season. Cause I understand that I'm, I might be falling into the reporter trap of falling on, of falling onto narrative when I don't have the, the every single reported facts and everything. Cause clearly not every collective is equal. I do think it's fair to say how aspire is operating at Tennessee, both in their sophistication and their long-term profitability goals and their ability and who they're at, who they're getting money from is different from Auburn is different from Alabama is different from Texas A&M and very different from Ohio state and how those, not just the amount of money, but the kind of donor and what they're hoping to get out of that relationship may speak to different levels of power imbalance or power sharing between donor and AD. So and nothing else, Auburn hired a guy that knows this world really well. And I would just say like, Good luck, my man. Like maybe it, 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 it might work, but um, this feels like a place that's a great job for a head football coach and a, maybe not the best job in the world for an athletic director. And a good job for for some agent to fill as well, given the oh. the amount of buyouts that are they're getting paid to this. This, this is mentioned- what I'm thinking here, right? You, you, worst case scenario, you lose, you get fired at Auburn in four years. You got generational wealth, baby. Yep. Oh, you yeah. get fired as AD, you're, you're wealthy, but you're not sending your kids to Phillips Exeter wealthy. You know, like that's it's the different different buyout money. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It is definitely a, a different league of buyout money. Although Junko is getting a pretty hefty raise from from what I hear on and yeah. on that uh, move to Auburn. So, but you mentioned Tennessee. You know, I, I think that that one of the things Danny White, you know, very early after getting hired was get everybody moving in the right direction, not just in IL, but you know, in terms of the administration, in terms of really making sure that the focus was back on Tennessee, kind of eliminating some of those distractions, kind of clearing out some of those factions that really did develop when Philip Fulmer was, was there and in charge. I mean, there, there, there's, there's something to be said of kind of the people skills that these ADs need nowadays to bring kind of those warring factions, whether yeah. they're warring collectives, whether they're warring, you know, boosters, uh, individuals um, that might be on your, your board of regents and, and heavily involved in athletics that are, are meddling a little bit too much you know that that is kind of the the task of the modern ad nowadays is is really just uh, not just people skills for raising money but it's people skills in terms of managing people and making sure they're all on the same page and yeah. I, I give tennessee a lot of credit i think you, you brought up AM a little bit earlier i think that is a fascinating situation to monitor going forward um yeah. especially I, now that I we would, can move off love, of auburn yeah i would love to read a book about texas a&m just 
broad broadly over like what the last 10 years of oh i'll i'll go way back before then cuz it, it it has been fascinating especially as as a texas native someone who's gone down to the college station quite a bit um yeah. you know that that is it's just a unique culture you know at a&m not yes, even that, speaking about athletics unique it's a very culture, unique culture. Is, yeah i i listen i can make this joke when I, the joke i'm about to make would be deeply offensive if you make it i can make this joke i i'm, I'm kidding a little bit here let me just say Based on my uh, religious background, I think I am. Um, I, I'm not. I'm not say. I'm. I would not say I am part of a cult. I would just say that I may be more familiar with the trappings of what somebody else might might think of what that might be. Right? You know. Yeah. You, you can kind of get what I'm saying here. Um, Texas A&M is like that more than very few non-religious entities in terms of ritual, in terms of secrecy in terms of weirdness like i i i get that that trope is overdone for other places i don't think it's overdone for aggie that's kind of the right, right word to use it's weird um it's just definitely like, unique I, having gone to a, a football camp or two you know down there uh, back in the day it was definitely a very eye-opening experience <laughs> you know if you're you're not uh, completely raised and and, and uh uh in, indoctrinated i guess a little bit uh they're they're in conversation but you know it has gotten a little better you know i, I think the, the the thing about a&m and, and some of those places too am you know one of the largest schools under undergraduate schools in the country so it's you can have a very diverse experience although amongst the diehards that are contributing millions of dollars to the athletic department that are going to those games and midnight yell all the time uh it, it is definitely a very uh different experience from somebody who's maybe uh just getting in and getting out and getting their degree uh in, in veterinary or, or school or, or something like yeah. that yeah. No. Well. Yeah. That's that, that's that's. Um. If if you want to yell at me for anything that I've said here about Texas A&M, you can of course reach me on Twitter at thirty eight Godfrey. Uh, send all of your feedback there. Oh, uh, it's it, it's funny. I I did accidentally kind of put my foot in my mouth at this big conference in in uh, in Charlotte over the last week. It's a big collection here of people who are studying sports marketing who have written papers about revenue generation, about ticketing, a lot about NIL. And there was, and I will kind of, kind of wrap it up on this. At, at near the end, I was asked to speak on a panel, um, and I'm talking here with uh, some people from One Team Partners and from uh, some, some NIL consultancies and from Teamworks and other, you know, a lot of industry people. And we're, you know, we're, we're all talking with each other, and, and some, of this, some of the students and, and graduate students were asking about what impact NIL has on recruiting and whether that creates an unfair advantage or, or, you know, uh, whoever has the biggest budget automatically wins. And maybe I might have, um, a little bit too informally used Texas A&M as an example of maybe having the most money on NIL doesn't necessarily mean that you're always going to win forgetting that not only does Texas A&M have like a student body of like 60,000 people at this point, they also have one of the, the biggest uh, sports management departments, including the person who was uh, like emceeing that particular event and like 60 other people in the audience. So uh, I didn't besmirch the dog. So I was able to leave with my life. But uh, the moral of the story here is if you're going to make fun of some of a school, make sure that school didn't go to that conference. Um, I should have made fun of rice. That would have, that would have been a little bit safer, but. A little bit safer, but uh, we, we, we still like our Aggies. They, they, you know, it's, it's they're a little. They put the target on them back, but they some, somehow embrace it a, a little bit as well. And listen, yeah. if, if they turn it around, there will be nobody more excited for for the the success of Texas A and M to actually win it all uh, than than I will. So so, 
Go 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 ahead and get good Maggie's. Uh, I'll put the thumb up, uh, and and we, we'll celebrate a a title down in the future. But it is a fascinating test case, just given everything that has gone on at that school the last couple of decades. I mean, you throw in realignment, you know, you go back to the the days when, when the Longhorn Network was was causing, you know, just everybody to kind of get up in it. I, I mean, it just, it seems like there's always constantly something there at the school, really dating back to the Southwest Conference days. So, um, you know, you, you you talk about, you know, white papers and all that stuff. I, I, I would love to to really sit down and, and drill down on on some of those particulars because A&M is, is one of the more unique places, in, I think, in all the college athletics and especially so uh, these last couple of years. And so uh, I'm, I'm sure a few of those uh, sports management students will, will be able to uh, to tell you how, how it really is, as long as they're subscribed to extra points and going for two, of course, though. Um, yeah, the complete unofficial history of Texas A&M does sound like a, an excellent off-season project or interview series. You know, maybe we should go, we, we can go. Bring well, we'll, we'll be down in San Antonio for the NCAA. Convention. We will. So maybe we'll, we'll pop right over. Uh, my, my parents live not too far from there in, in, right. in uh, the San Antonio area. So, you know, we'll, we'll, maybe we'll stop by. We'll, we'll call up uh, Ross Bjork and, and some of the folks that are there at a and I, I doubt we're going to get access to Jimbo, but uh, yeah, uh, just don't, don't show Ross the last 10 minutes of anything here that I said, I'll be on my best <laughs> behavior. Uh, it'll be great. Um, we, we could talk a little bit more about some of those white papers and conferences. I think a little bit later in this week, I'm, I'm going through a few of those now, um, both in terms of empirical evidence and research about not just NIL amounts, but why people pick particular uh, uh, job, you know, NIL opportunities, why they decide to disengage from the market, what that market looks like in a place like Minnesota or Michigan, and then also Maine um, was, uh, I think, a useful case study. We have stuff about equity and NIL and also some, you know, for a dork like me, fascinating research about signage and sponsorships and, and revenue generation and how maybe some schools are actually leaving quite a bit of money on the table. We can talk about that some more. And of course, on extra points over the past couple of days, uh, I published a little bit of what I've heard about EA Sports College Football. We can also talk about that a little bit on Friday because I talked to some other people in the licensing world that tend to have more intel on project timelines and what things are happening. And of course, you can find the rest of our video content uh, with Collegiate Sports Connect and Brian's other show, Head Coach You, where he has brought in uh, some other experts to share some information about um, how their programs are are operating and what insights they have about some of the big issues in college athletics, from recruiting to roster management to to uh, managing culture to hiring people. You can find all of that on Head Coach You. Brian, have I, have I forgotten to plug anything else? I think that might just just cover it. I, I mean, you mentioned head coach. You we had, we had Jeff Munkin on uh, the Army head coach this week, and you know it's, it's Army Air Force Week. We'll see that on Saturday. The Commander in Chief's Trophy is on the line, so it was kind of fun to talk to him with them about that, about what goes into life on the academy, the kind of student athletes that he recruits. Obviously, a ton of of lesson, lessons on leadership that uh, he shared with uh, Bronco and I. So a very fun head coach you episode this week, and uh, I think folks will really enjoy that. We had one uh, with uh, Tim Murphy, a Harvard's head coach. The, the winning as coach in the Ivy League before that. A lot of future guests as well that, that I think folks will be excited about. So make sure you not only subscribe to that, um, you know, on, on Collegiate Sports Connect, had, had a couple of interviews. We, we do do uh, some some unique uh, search insights on, you mentioned Maine earlier. We, we have the Maine president on on uh, Collegiate Sports Connect talking about that AD opening. I have one coming soon uh, about the Mississippi State and, and Auburn openings um, and, and how that one search filled and impacted the other. So uh, a lot of good stuff this week on Collegiate Sports Connect. And of course, you can find it all on the D1 ticker at the start and end of every day. That's right, folks. Um, thank you for listening 
Thank you for sticking with us. We're gonna, I'll share a little bit more context about this episode on Extra Points. Finishing up a couple of pretty big back-end investments there too. Hope you'll be able to see it soon. Thanks for listening. We'll catch up with you guys soon.